0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief of Modern Retail. And this week, we have Eva Goikochea. She's the founder and CEO of Mod, which is an intimate products company. I, I know them. They-, they make things like lubricant, condoms, all that jazz, but they've been expanding a lot. They have some really interesting retail partnerships. And I really just want to get into the nuts and bolts of being, you know, a uh, predominantly DTC business in this space, what it means to grow, and sort of how you go about marketing to people. But Eva, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So uh, for those that don't know, do you want to just give a quick introduction about Mod and, and what you're all about?
1: Sure. So I think you summed it up. Mod is a modern intimacy company. We're about four years old for some change. Um, we're based in New York. And really what makes Mod unique and exciting and fun to work on is the fact that we are built on inclusivity and that is very much who our audience is we are a pretty gendered split audience it's age agnostic and we're really trying to build the next chapter in this category for everyone so that's what we're here to do and we're excited by where we've been so far
0: awesome tell us a little about yourself sort of how did you get into the intimacy product space
1: I mean, one day, no, I, <laughs> it's, it's always a funny question, right? But basically, I started thinking about mod in 2015, and it was really the short version is that it was a convergence of being in startups and at product companies quite early. So I was one of the early employees at Everlane, and I also worked at an organic cosmetic company. Um, and in my earlier career, so before that, I was a legislative aide in healthcare. And oh, wow. I come from, a yeah, I, I'm from New Mexico, which was one of the worst states in terms of sex ed and condom usage. And so for me, this category was something that I really thought was is just a critical component to who we are as people and was a really interesting challenge to build a business that would maybe change culture, approach, education, all of the things that we're sort of seeing still right now.
0: <laughs> it definitely seems like now is a specifically... I don't know what the right word is, but it's a a, speci- a specifically poignant time to be in sexual wellness right now. I would say.
1: I mean, I did not think we would still be here fifty years later. We're not going to go into all of that, but for sure, we are. We are very much in a time when sexual wellness and access to these products is still it's still a challenge.
0: So, what was the launch plan four years ago? What were the what was the first product you came out with? How did you go about devising it? And was did you have a roadmap in mind for what the entire mod slate would look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the thesis was that, the, okay, let's take a step back. The The industry has always been quite fractured from the beginning. So 100 years ago, when this first, you know, condom came out, it was, um, it, it essentially built a legacy industry that has been dominated by condoms on like the drugstore aisle. And then you have sex toys and devices kind of in CD strip malls. And so as that has changed over time, what you see is where you buy sex products is quite varied. And we had this thesis that it should be approached in this really unified, you know, destigmatized way. And so we launched with four products. We said people need vibrators, like they should be able to use them and not feel uncomfortable. Condoms are a critical component to sexual health, um, and lubricant is needed throughout your adult life. So we launched with those SKUs and like a quickie kit so that we could seed (laughs) it out to people. Um, And we launched off of the back of a very big survey, turning the survey participants from you know, 2017 into the first customers at launch in 2018. So we gave we sent them a product and they didn't know what it was going to be. They just did this survey without seeing the brand. So that was the way we kicked it off. That was like the go-to-market, was create a mini community to, to basically launch it.
0: Wow. How did like that's that's a really interesting idea of I I know every founder I know talks about products, you know, doing a survey, getting that data, but the fact that you crew made that into the community. How wh- how did you go about that? Can you just walk me through the nuts and bolts of that?
1: So I created a survey and then sent it out to everyone I knew. And, and actually it kind of took off in about a week and a half. We had 700 responses and it validated what we believed was the product market fit, which was everybody needs these products <laughs> and everybody is feeling underserved because the industry is so outdated. So I know this sounds not true, but literally it was people were from 18 to 81. Because we collected all of this demographic data, which I thought was kind of funny, such a wide age range. Um, men, women, other, you know, straight, gay, other. It was like this really wide audience, and they all said the same thing.
0: Was the idea that it would be sold online from the beginning? I know that you're now in stores, but what were the first few years in terms of distribution? Because as you mentioned earlier, distribution of sexual wellness is is very fragmented, and I imagine you probably didn't want to be in CVS from the from the get-go, right?
1: No, I mean I think obviously if you're going to talk about really changing this category, you you eventually need to be on the shelf where where there is distribution. I think that's still very far off and if you were going to sort of think of a analogous or a similar business, I would say beauty is is like that. Obviously, mm-hmm. beauty is many more decades ahead, but you know you're seeing the experience in like a drugstore change for beauty. So for us, retail was always a critical part of the roadmap. But what we were faced with, the challenge, and then later the opportunity, was that retailers were not thinking about this category yet. So we said we want to be in Sephora. We want to kind of have the same arc as a beauty brand and then eventually go into mass and drug. Um, and that—that that is what we set out to do. And that is what we have done.
0: So are you, are you in mass now?
1: We're not in mass now. We're in our first phase of that plan, which is we're in beauty. So we launched in Sephora as one of their, one of only two sexual wellness brands that they've ever carried in the history of the company.
0: Congratulations. That's awesome. I wanted to talk about the initial marketing because I feel like this is what you know every founder i talk to talks about how their you know th- their product is in an industry but doesn't but is doesn't map to the traditional industry and they're trying to redo it but i think yours is very true to this where you 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 have we have one idea for what condoms are but you're doing something different and you're trying to reach customers in a new way and make them rethink their i guess their their interactions with these products or the way they conceptualize them so how did you go about marketing that and actually doing messaging about that
1: I think it was very much built around. I've, I say this, I said this a million times, um, and I'm sorry to recycle this statement, but I think it's very true. I've always said there's like product companies and there are really mission or like, I don't want to say lifestyle, but sort of like lifestyle companies. And we were not trying to sell product. We were trying to sell a sensibility and really bring people together with values. And so those values are should this category be a part of your everyday life should you feel like you're lovable throughout your life like there's all these other pieces and so the marketing strategy was creating language that really touched on intimacy more than sex and what i mean by that was like always approaching this as this part of your health whether it's your physical mental you know health and and thinking about it that way versus Let's go out and sell some condoms and, like, really talk about how cheap they are or, like, how eco they are. There was just – I just really was like, we cannot compete if that's our take because there are giants on the shelf and they can always chase us to the, you know, to the bottom when it comes to price or something else. So
0: So then can you just walk me through the demographics because you said it's it's all over the board. It's as young as 18, as old as 81. It's, you know, a mix between, you know – gender, sexual orientation, all that. So do do you need to shift your marketing for each of those demos? How how does that work?
1: No. So that was the survey data, but now our data actually reflects the same thing. So it's 43% male, 57% female identifying, at least within GA, right? Um, Which is Google Analytics. I think we have 43% over 40. I don't know why this number 43 keeps coming up, but this is what the data is at the moment. (laughs) Um, And and it's so it's an older audience, and um, it, and then primarily it's like 80-something percent over 25. So when I think about people often say, like, aren't you caring about Gen Z? And I think, well, Gen Z has kind of the same values. In fact, they're probably more advanced in how they're thinking about sexuality and conversation than, than most. And so we attract them anyway because of what we stand for. Um, I think older demographics care about our values and the mission, but they're also excited to be, to, you know, to have a brand that is not hyper-explicit, is, is intelligent, is beautiful, um, and feels like they can share with their partner or, you know, feel like it, it speaks to them with that age-agnostic lens. So it makes sense to me that we kind of span generations.
0: Can you talk to me a little bit about how you... How you developed the aesthetic. You yourself, you, you uh, like you've you've a background in cr- creative directing. Am I incorrect about that? Yeah. Um, and so I feel like this is something you probably think about every day. And I think that, like specifically for companies that do like lubes and condoms, I, the most that you can talk about aesthetic is if they have like a pithy tagline or they do a funny commercial. Um, and and so how did you go about constructing this brand identity, and what were the pillars that you were focusing on?
1: So our three pillars are quality, simplicity, and inclusivity. And that that isn't just what we put on paper. It's also the lens by which we think about everything. So from how to use the product all the way to what the packaging looks like, how we're speaking, it's basically saying, are the is design the thread that creates that destigmatization? And is it the thing that can basically bring all people into, you know, the ecosystem. And we found that by keeping the colors neutral, by making the products easy to use, by it not being super over-assorted, um, and then not speaking to like usage of product for one part of your life. So for instance, we've been asked, hey, why don't you speak to menopausal women? Well, lubricant can be used by menopausal women. It can be used by young women. And our, our thought is life stage often dictates What's happening physically, but not always. So inclusivity then bubbles up and kind of leads that. So it, we say, like, we don't need to segment in our marketing. We just need to create products that are universally, you know, helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. And what were the channels that? that initially worked for for acquiring customers was it were you a predominantly Instagram brand it seems like it was during the time of the rise of Instagram so that makes sense but also you know i, I don't know
1: we are in a different era now but i think <laughs> the are we really hit press hard in the beginning um and we we did that because we were actually getting a lot of inbound anyway i think people wanted to talk i mean people want to talk about sex let's be honest that's that's always been the case um i think that Press was really teed up to talk about this from not only a cultural angle, but also the design lens. And so we had press well before we launched. I mean, there are press pieces that go back to, you know, beginning of 2017, so... I started to forge those relationships internally and that became a really big foundational piece to our marketing mix. It still very much is. Um, we are on typical channels and unlike a lot of brands in this space, we are able to advertise and we can get into that later. But um, And then social and Instagram is a big piece, but I wouldn't say that we're necessarily the brand that has leaned on like user-generated content. We still treat Instagram like Pinterest in some ways, and and I don't know that that's going to forever work. But it was at least a way to cement who we were as a brand, so that you could look at it and say, "Oh, that's Mod," um, versus trying to just build something that was highly engaged. Because when you're talking about an older audience as well, then there's just sort of different ways to to use the tool. So
0: I actually wanted to get into this, and this is probably a little bit not with the timeline we're at, but you, you mentioned it and I was doing some research and I know that we, we wrote a story a year or two ago where we mentioned that mod was on Pinterest. Um, so are you still, are you still on Pinterest? Does that work? Has that worked as a acquisition channel?
1: Well, it, in terms of an acquisition channel, it's, it's really expensive. Um, I think, you know, it's just, if I told you our CPA, you would like you know, fall over. I think <laughs> we we use it organically. Um, I would say the way that it was originally intended. So we do get a lot of you know we get a couple million views a month according to Pinterest. In that way, um, I would say that that's not entirely true. But a lot of these platforms are black boxes, so who knows? Um, we have dabbled in advertising on Pinterest. I think the aesthetic of the brand lends itself to that platform, but it is so expensive to acquire a customer, and I I would say that they are still figuring out what. That looks like anyway.
0: That makes sense. And so, talk to me about the advertising front. So, you you mentioned that you are able to advertise. What what are the dynamics that play in here for why you're able to others aren't all that?
1: We are not explicit. So, I would say just the DNA of the brand lends itself to getting around the advertising restrictions because we don't use words that are you know sort of blacklisted. Like we're able to we navigate on the copy in terms of the products we're able to advertise rise which is our condom and we're able to advertise a lube both as health products you can you can do that um you cannot advertise a vibrator but that gets enough press so it kind of evens out so we just and then we also have bath and body products we have like what we call share care so there are other products we can advertise and that's how we've been able to navigate it and i would say the benefit for us of of having a a good product assortment early was knowing that those are channels that we could use. Because I think for other brands that are maybe very Mm device-focused, to try to invest time and energy into hoping that other new SKUs that are not vibrators work is is just an uphill battle.
0: Have you ever been banned inexplicably? I feel like there are a lot of brands that do things right and they use the right keywords but just because of the the essence um they they've had problems with platforms have you experienced that
1: for sure i mean we definitely have a few dings on our account we've had to move our facebook account but um, i think once you kind of like just stick to what you know then it's okay it's 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 a little bit homogenous because you're like well i don't want to call her outside the lines and get dinged again so we're trying to push the boundaries and we're trying to creatively you know, make, um, just to diversify our creative, but it's, it's like you, you also feel very tied to what works so that you don't get in trouble.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about retail. Um, because you mentioned how you're sort of in stage one of, of growing the retail presence. What was your roadmap for expansion? Was it just getting into Sephora or getting into boutiques and how, where, where are you at this process now?
1: It was getting, well, first we started indie and hospitality, um, outreach immediately because we were like these are smaller orders operationally we can fulfill them and start building that base uh I will say you know shout out to fair for instance because fair has been super helpful I, I, we had to build like a mini wholesale shopify site and we were trying to funnel everything through there because anyone that has a brand who deals with indie shops etc knows like you're chasing hundred dollar checks so in the beginning it was like tedious I think now with platforms like fair which if your listener doesn't know is essentially like a marketplace for shops to shop brands. And it's almost like a consumer experience. It makes it very seamless. So uh, that has helped. And then the hospitality partners have been great. I mean, they don't move a ton of product, but it certainly gives the brand a bit of cachet. and, And we have turned some of those partnerships into bigger partnerships. So that was the first focus. Then we started to be on the radar of Retailers that had beauty. So Nordstrom, Urban Outfitters, Anthropology, Saks, Bloomingdale's. And we were in, you know, we were one of the first brands in sexual wellness for those. And then Sephora came knocking.
0: We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Please stay with us. Okay, talk about hospitality because I find that interesting. I'm always fascinated with like brands, digital brands that use that as a discovery platform? Uh, a, where did you specifically seek out? Did you have a list of specific partners that you wanted? What 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 about those partners did you want? And then this is the question that I've always wanted to get answered, and maybe you can and maybe you can't, but like if you're not moving product, how are you tracking what's working?
1: Well, I mean... That's an interesting thing. I think, so we, we are moving. I don't mean that we're not moving product. I mean that if anyone thinks that they can sort of launch a an hotel and you're going to see thousands of units a month go off the shelf, I, that's just not how it works typically. Um, I guess unless you're like alcohol, I'm not sure. Like maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe the mini bar is moving more. <laughs> um, no, I would say we, we partnered with hotels that had that design vent where essentially what's the upside for them? If they already had intimacy kits and those intimacy kits were unbranded, often if you look at the category, it needs to be high quality because there's like a trust barrier. So us saying, Hey, we're becoming this brand that's more known. It makes sense the same way that you think about like shampoo and, and body products. It's, it's how you should be thinking about this and putting it in there just gives the, you know, the customer a better experience. So we found like-minded partners when it comes to to hotels and made a giant list on Airtable and started reaching out to them. Um yeah.
0: Are they those uh unbranded? Like are you having them hotel branded or are they all saying mod?
1: They're all saying mod. So we have the staycation kit um and that's what typically goes into the hotels or the quickie.
0: Got it. And do you have like just to go back to the, that first like long question I asked. Do you have something like QR codes? Do you do anything in terms of trying to track people who are in hotels that then might seek you out later? Are you able to get any of those analytics or is it just based on you get the sense that it's working and the cachet is growing?
1: So we're now putting QR codes on all of our retail packaging because one thing that, again, like anyone listening who's who's running a brand and who's thinking about international expansion, for instance, which we have now done, you have to think about all of the languages you have to have. So we we have found a partner called Bridge and you can essentially scan the QR code and then you can create the experience of like, for us, it's about um, Bridge was made for your warranty, but you can also use it as like a landing page for education, et cetera. So it is now a tool by which we can put on the packaging and then have people click through and see that attribution, et cetera. So yes to QR codes, but we're still a team of 10. So segmenting out and paying attention to all of this is like, we need more people. (laughs) (laughs) You got to do the baseline things and set yourself up for growth, but like you can't do everything all at once. But yeah. So
0: talk to, so you're a team of 10 and you're expanding internationally. What's the international expansion? How is that working? What are, what are, where are you?
1: We are in 33 countries. We are in, yeah, we're in 33 countries direct to consumer. We have done no advertising for it. We have done some press. We're keeping it pretty mellow. Um, and the idea was to basically soft launch and make sure that it worked, that people could get their product to their door and there weren't any glaring issues. It has so far worked and now we'll start to allocate more towards each, you know, sort of market. But, but again, it's like when I think about how you approach growth, I just think about laying the groundwork so that you don't have to go back and fix anything, um, but laying the groundwork to scale it, at the pace that you can handle.
0: So are you ideally with international are you going to try and follow pretty much the same as the US playbook you know for have a DTC following who learn about it through whatever maybe then reach out to hospitality players so that that grows and then go into retail
1: We're actually launching in Selfridges in store in a couple oh, of weeks <laughs> <So> That's great <laughs> that, Yeah it's great so so that playbook is not the case um and I would say the hospitality piece So condoms are class two medical devices and you have to be certified in every country or region that you're going into. So it is not, we just made our first hire in compliance because that is also a full-time focus is just the compliance paperwork of every single country. So we can't go into hospitality if it's condoms, but we can if it's the other products.
0: Got it. Um, And so just so we're up to speed, what is the product line now as compared to four four years ago. So what have you expanded into? Is it the same general pillars of of products, you know, condoms, vibrators, lubricants, and then you said bath or have you done other things?
1: Okay. We launched with the essentials, called them the essentials, then we launched with a burn massage candle. And that was in the same year. And that was kind of our first foray into anything what we said beyond the bedroom. Then we launched in, you know, travel size, but then we launched bath and body products. And then we um, recently launched, and that was in multiple scents. So we have scent. And then we launched our first ingestible. So we have gummies.
0: Is that like CBD gummies?
1: They are not CBD gummies, but they are formulated for everyday use to essentially, you know, help your, really your vacillation to, you know, they sort of enhance your blood flow.
0: So how do you go, like, these all are all are around intimacy, but how how did you go about product sourcing for a gummy when you were in, you know, lubricants before? It seems like these these require a lot of different types of specialization. So how did, how did you f- find out what works and find the best ingredients and you know, all, all that stuff? Because they seem like very different. I, I wouldn't know how to go
1: about that. <laughs> so in the case of the ingestible, we actually partnered with a brand that you probably know called A-System. Um, and A-System is... So, again, for the listener, A system started out as a ingestible and topical company, and they are really focusing much more on ingestibles, specifically around like sleep, uh, anxiety, et cetera. all all naturally formulated and and they're not a pharmaceutical company. Um, and they we went to them and were like, we would love to work on this with you. They were planning on going into libido anyway. And so we've used this as an opportunity to kind of tap into their scientific formulation team to, basically fast track to, to market. And so, no, we don't have a bunch of scientists. It would have (laughs) taken us a lot longer and we wanted something that was clinically proven. So we have worked with them and we will now work with their scientific team for any other formulations hereafter.
0: Is it co-branded or, or how, how does, how does that work?
1: This is the first and only co-branded product. So, um, we have had, that's not true. Actually, we had a puzzle our Ooh. dear little puzzle yeah, um, <laughs> I just lied. I'm sorry, no, we had a puzzle with piecework. They are amazing, um, we love them, and we did this really cute, um, oh my gosh, we had two more clubs. Wow, my brain is just not <laughs> to. um no, we did that. We did the puzzle, and then we did something called the nightcap kit um, and so that that is basically all of your makings for a um. For two old fashions plus basically the quickie kit, so condoms and lubricant. But anyway, this is our first ingestible collab, and it will probably be the only collab on ingestibles.
0: Got it. Got it. Um, so <laughs> so now that so now that you, you've sort of the international expansion, hospitality inroads with a lot of retail. What is the makeup in terms of um, in terms of sales channels? Are you still predominantly online direct to consumer, or is retail? getting a bigger piece of that and what is, what's your goal in terms of the the DTC retail market you know piece of the pie
1: split yeah i would say we're, we're about 25 75 so 75% dtc uh and then i think within 3 to 4 years it'll probably be more 50 50
0: got it this year specifically cuz um correct me if i'm wrong but like you you, you have a new uh investor slash creative, co-creative director. Is that correct with D- Dakota Johnson?
1: She's been around for a couple of years. Oh, apologies. <laughs> no, you're fine.
0: <laughs> um, um. So, but like, so like how, like with when you, with you're growing and you have a celebrity sort of like repping the brand, what what are, what are your focuses now? Is it just getting more people involved, expanding the product line? Like, what, what are you thinking about?
1: I mean, honestly, if I'm speaking about what the last two months has looked like, I think it's more around people and hiring and scaling. This could be an entirely other conversation because I think hiring is a really big challenge at the moment. But um, our focus, so we have three new launches coming in September. Um, we, it was not ideal that we packed them into one month, but there will be three launches and and a couple of them are a pretty big deal for us. Um, so it's that, it's new markets, it's retail next year, like actually being in more physical stores. We are in a lot of physical stores, but being in more. And then building a team to match the opportunity because we are we are growing and, and, you know, again, we're really small. We've kept it pretty small through COVID, through everything. And as you can see in d 2 land, it's important to be.
0: Talk to me about hiring because um, this is something I'm hearing a lot now. Uh, so what 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 are you looking to hire for? But also, like, what's is it just that? Is it the Great Resignation as everyone's talking about and people? It's hard to find talent. What what are you what are you what are you running up against?
1: I'm running up against the fact that I am not a triplet and that I can't be in three places at once. <laughs> so I'm I'm running I'm running hiring. We're running hiring internally. That just takes a lot of time. Um, I am not. So we're a team that has actually been. I have employees that have been here since before launch. So we're a pretty close-knit team. They are all, um, you know, they've been involved in the company for some time. And I think it's just about hiring. We have, you know, roles across e-com, CRM, social, growth, marketing, probably all the same things you're hearing from everybody else. We just made a hire in creative and we made that compliance hire, which is super exciting. But it's mostly just time to, to reach out to people. I think. We have great relationships with recruiters, but recruiters are extraordinarily expensive usually. Um, and we are trying to push to profitability in the next year and a half. And so we're we're paying attention to cost. And so I'm, I'm just trying to do this internally.
0: That makes sense. So with the push to profitability, how does scale fit into that uh, calculus?
1: I would say that it's much more, and this is probably something you're hearing a lot, it's profitability particularly around unit economics and or order economics i think um it's not about still losing money but having like a team of 3 <laughs> it's uh, you know on on one end and then, and then saving elsewhere it's actually about crafting a growth strategy where it really works and what that means for us internally is shifting to channels that are just way more about organic efficient direct you know community growth more than more than paid acquisition channels that are just becoming increasingly untenable. So
0: so then that leads perfectly to my next question, which is, what are the channels? I'm mean, Does this mean, are you completely off Facebook now? Because it's such, uh, you know, it's it's not a great place to be on right now if you're a brand doing paid, I imagine.
1: It's, it's you know, we're talking about three to four times what we were seeing a year ago in terms of cost. Um, obviously, that's a post iOS shift. And I think also really on our, Cogs side shipping and fulfillment are quite expensive at the moment, so um, so we're just kind of getting hit from multiple angles. And I think, in terms of channel mix, we really see opportunities in. So content is a big thing for us, but uh, content and conversion optimization around that content, and really marrying like marrying and mirroring the two, so that they feel like one ecosystem is important now and then um, influencer you know we haven't we haven't gone really past certain paid channels we haven't done anything like in i understand tiktok is not a conversion driver but just in terms of brand awareness so we need warm bodies if anyone's listening and they feel like they can you know they have a heartbeat they can they can apply <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right guys y'all heard that no um, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um and so i guess we have three new launches you said in september is that the the number one focus that you're having what like what is the cuz you mentioned that mass retail is one thing that's on that that you're hoping for what what's the timeline for that would you say
1: so we have been put pushing off a you know not named retailer for a long time and and we're starting to to think about launch so um i would say realistically q3 of 23
0: okay q3 and would yeah. you like would you ever when we talk about mass and I, would would you ever be in a Walgreens or a CVS or are you just that's not what you're looking for and you're looking for, you know, you know, other types of, of nicer places?
1: I would say, you know, I don't want to dig. I, I think CVS and, and Walgreens are doing their best. But I would say, again, if you go back to what the experience is in beauty and personal care, mm-hmm. uh, they are still catching up. They are redefining themselves. And this will probably be the last frontier of that umbrella so once that catches up and they're considering how to market this that is when you have a conversation because otherwise you're just on shelf as a commodity competing with the big guys you know and what does that mean and you know this like in retail that means you're paying to play you're paying for placement you're paying you know for shelf space by the foot there's so many other factors and so we're just not there yet
0: yeah. I mean, I feel like – I'm trying to remember which one, but we wrote a story about it a little bit ago. But a lot of these major pharmacies say they're focusing on health and wellness from a more holistic standpoint. But then when you actually talk to the brands, it seems like it's not working out to the best. Or maybe it's just because people go into those stores expecting a certain thing, and it's not the same. And so it does seem like they they say one thing, but it hasn't exactly played out the way that they hoped it would.
1: Right. And I don't – I mean – you know, we haven't even talked about like, well, where are people purchasing this product? I think the benefit of the category is that people want to buy it online because it's, they don't want to stand on the aisle and like shop. It's still not the most comfortable experience. Um, it's changing, but, um, so Amazon, like Amazon is where people are going. So I think for us, it's, if we're going to think mass, we don't just think, you know, in drugstore terms, because that's not, where it's getting moved um it it amazon i would say is even more more compelling in that way.
0: Really. And and you and do you have your full product line on Amazon?
1: We're not on Amazon. Oh you're
0: not you're not all. on Amazon.
1: No, we're not on Amazon, but I mean if I was to if I was to get to the point in which I was thinking am I going to go into CVS I probably would consider Amazon. Okay.
0: First. That makes sense. And then just to but sort yeah. of follow up with that last point you made, but um and we're, we're running out of time, but I'm finding this a really fascinating conversation, <laughs> but um, Thank you. Well, with uh <laughs> With, when you're in a Sephora, for example, and you're saying that people, you know, like if, if people in the buying experience for a lot of the products feel more or less uncomfortable doing it, do you talk to the the retailers themselves about this, that like this is as much a brand play as it is, like it might not drive as many conversions? And do you design your placements in such a way so that, that you are driving them to your website? How are, how are you thinking about all of that?
1: Well, so what's interesting is that I would say there's a caveat to saying that people are uncomfortable, which is that when I say that, I mean more primarily around if you're standing in the condom aisle, yeah. like condoms, even in these mass retailers, Walmart, Target, etc., they are trying to change this space and, and there are better brands and there are like, there's a better assortment. Um, it's still not hyper diverse in terms of your options. Um, but I would say that there, you know, there are they're still singled out. Like sometimes in the back corner, they're across from the foot cream. I mean, just the buying experience is not very interesting. So you're standing there kind of with a very, I would say like, um, outdated shopping experience. In the case of Sephora, obviously they like to tell brand stories. They give a lot of real estate to their brands and there's, you know, beautiful imagery. And so if you're going to be in a Sephora, they typically don't, it's not like some brands, have pictures and others don't. Like they try to give you a place to tell a story. So it all comes down to merchandising and context because of that merchandising. So I think it is easier to shop sexual wellness when it's positioned beautifully with brand imagery that is really like interesting versus a little box on the shelf with a
0: a $9.99. Do you you think that a Walmart or a Target will get there. Do like if you or I'll put this another way. If you were ta- having a conversation with the chief merchandiser at Target, which maybe you've had that conversation, I don't know. Um what how would you tell them to design to redesign their aisles such that it would be more inclusive and better for products like yours?
1: So I think that they just need to think about this like body care. So if you go into like an updated Target, well there's two things happening, right? Because On one hand, you have Ulta in Target, and that's its own universe, which is pretty well designed. There's like an interesting assortment. It feels like a mini Ulta. And then you have their beauty and personal care section, which most of the stores have a really nice beauty experience. But personal care, you kind of see it on the fringes. And sometimes it's brought into the fold and there's better lighting and more real estate for brand storytelling. And sometimes it isn't. Typically, more often than not, sexual wellness is like past the fringes, you know? And so, like I said, it's like with the foot cream or with the paper towels, like you, with, with the baby product, like it just is not very thoughtful. So what I would say to that, you know, the chief merchandising officer is like, you should bring sexual wellness into personal care and then you should bring personal care up to par with beauty. And I think that's where they're going. I think that they know that. Um, so That's what we're advocating for.
0: Eva, this has been such a fun conversation. Thank you for joining.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Kale. It was so nice to talk to you.
0: And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week.